Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome into the Monday, December the 2nd edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, a Victory Monday edition. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, the Dolphins win. We're breaking down Miami's offensive onslaught with the five takeaways, the individual performances, a college football weekend recap, Miami's new draft positioning, and what this third win tells us about Miami and their coaching staff going forward. A lot of positives on today's show to get to, but first, before we do any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. We thank you for making us the number one listened to, downloaded, and most popular Dolphins podcast in all existence. Follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. The number one follow on Dolphins Twitter as voted by Dolphins Twitter. Follow the show at LockedOnFins. We're going to follow you back. And check out LockedOnDolphins.com. The recap article is up there right now. And you guys can get all the video breakdowns from today's game, today's win over the Philadelphia Eagles. Let's go. That's another Miami Dolphins. We start the Sunday slash Monday recap podcast as we do weekly here with the five takeaways from the Dolphins win 37 to 31 over the Philadelphia Eagles. And we start with the skill positions on offense. And that's the first takeaway. We might just be good at receiver and tight end on offense because Devontae Parker and Mike Gesicki both piling up career highs in receiving yardage on Sunday's game, both high-pointing footballs on top of defenders and winning one-on-one situations, creating mismatch problems in the defensive secondary for the opposition. That's what it's all about at those positions. And if the Dolphins can continue to scheme things up and get things open for other guys on this team and on this offense, and then you have to deal with those one-on-one matchup pieces in six foot five and six foot six receivers and tight ends going down the field with speed, explosion, and a vertical to go out of the gym. I just don't know how you defend that. And now both of these guys also are running after the catch like their lives depend on it. I just think that Devontae Parker and Mike Gesicki, and when you add in Preston Williams coming back next season, who's probably going to miss a few games or get off to a slow start, but he's still going to be 21 years old, 22 years old, coming back into the fold and giving Miami three really Really good playmakers at the skill positions. And now they can just round out the offensive line, the backfield, get the quarterback of the future figured out. And this offense could be flying. I still believe that Alan Hearns is totally fine in that slot position. Another 33 receiving yards for him today. A couple more first downs as well. So the Dolphins skill positions. First takeaway of this game, they're good to go. Takeaway number two is that Ryan Fitzpatrick, you might make jokes about the way he scrambles or the fun that he's having out there, the celebrations, but the bottom line is he's playing very, very well right now at the quarterback position. He talked to us reporters, that is, back in training camp about his comfortability in this offense and how this scheme really empowers the quarterback to be the best version of themselves. And he's really excelling in the cerebral aspect of this game, getting the pre-snap reads figured out, getting the football out of his hands against immense pressure pretty much all game long. After those first three drives, Miami had negative yardage on the day and an interception that was not his fault, but he did throw it to a spot that Parker could not get to because of some contact. And no, that was not pass interference. It's the letter of the law. Check it out. 
Anyway, back on topic here after that digression, Fitzpatrick has been playing like a top 20 quarterback in the league this year because of an offense that really empowers him and what he does cerebrally pre-snap, and he has the big strong arm to fit it into tight windows, and he's playing really well right now with anticipation, scrambling, and making the most of an offensive line that just flat out cannot block anything, and that's takeaway number three, and it's been takeaway number three or four, whatever, for a few weeks now, is that this offensive line, I just don't think there's a guy on this line that projects well going forward into your starting lineup. I think Miami has to remake it almost top to bottom. I think you do have some depth, some sixth men, maybe even a fifth starter on this offensive lineman and Michael Dieter or Jesse Davis, but they need to put resources into this group because if they get this line playing well with those receivers and whoever they put at quarterback, which at this point, I trust them to make the right choice there because of what they've done so far to this point in 2019, then I think this offense can really hum. But until you get some running game going, it took until a Kalen Balaj injury on Sunday to get any running game going and still they finish with just 52 rushing yards in the game. This offensive line has to be redone. If it can become dominant, this team can become dominant. And I think that's priority number two behind finding the quarterback of the future, which at this point, we don't know if that's going to happen unless you believe in the injured Tua Tungavailoa or you think Joe Burrow might somehow be there because beyond those two guys, next year's class looks far more enticing than what 2020 has to offer in the quarterback class. Takeaway number four is that Sam Aguavin could be a potential sub-package player coming along nicely. Now, we've talked poorly about Sam Aguavin on this podcast and his performance and what is essentially his rookie year as a 27-year-old CFL product, but he finally got some reps on Sunday that made me think that the training camp stuff we saw from this guy could be a potential long-term fit, and I'm talking more about a sub-package role as a rusher and coverage guy in the defense, a linebacker in your dime or dollar packages on the back end. He showed that explosion coming around the edge on both a sack as well as a screenplay he dumped in the backfield, and these are the kind of guys the Dolphins have had to find this year to establish the foundation and the base of this program that we're going to talk a lot more about in segment number three. And the fifth and final takeaway is my favorite takeaway, and it's the fact that I have to make this declaration for the third time this season. I'm going to do it again anyways, is that Brian Flores is going to be the first coach on this Dolphins organization, in this Dolphins organization, to make it five years since Don Shula. We know Dave Wanstead got fired in year number five, and it's been a hot mess of coaches since that time until now, as the Dolphins appear to have regathered some of the magic from the Patriots coaching staffs as all the former former defects of New England have not been able to do. It looks like Brian Flores has found the ability to find low budget fines on his roster and get production out of those guys. And they're winning in some of the most crucial areas, whether it's in the red zone. They were four for four on Sunday in red zone conversions into touchdowns. They're finding a way to get off the field on third down and long because they're actually playing dollar defense and dime defense on the back end with seven and eight defensive backs in coverage. And the best part about the entire thing with Brian Flores and this coaching staff, and let's go ahead and make that abundantly clear. It's not just Flores. One of the biggest reasons the Dolphins loved this hire was because of the coaching staff that he was able to bring with him with Chad O'Shea with Jerry Shaplinski, with Josh Boyer, with Patrick Graham, with Marion Hobby. The list goes on and on. You look at Zach Taylor in Cincinnati. He was only able to get Lou Anarumu as his defensive coordinator. One of the biggest reasons Miami loved Brian Flores was because he brought a damn good coaching staff, and we're seeing that play out on Sundays. And the Dolphins did get beat by a vastly superior team as far as talent goes by the Cleveland Browns last week. Well, this 
Eagles team, despite underachieving like the Browns, has pretty similar talent and that they have waves of all pro Pro Bowl talents at different levels of their team, both on offense and defense. But the Dolphins outmatch that team with a better coaching performance with Brian Flores over Doug Peterson. That gives him the nod over both Doug Peterson and Frank Reich this year. Brian Flores and his coaching staff have done an A-plus job. We'll talk more about that. We'll talk more about the future of the team. We'll talk about college football, the individual performances. Much more to come here on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. And if you want much more to come, you guys got to check out Blue Chew. BlueChew.com, that's blue like the color blue. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And if Devontae Parker going up over defenders to find footballs is not enough for you and you could benefit from more confidence where it counts, Blue Chew is the fast and easy way to enhance your performance. Blue Chew is prescribed online by licensed physicians, so you don't have to go to the doctor's office or wait in line at the pharmacy or watch videos of Mike Gesicki catching touchdowns to try to get yourself going. It ships right to your door in a discreet package. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, for a special time only, visit bluechew.com and get your first shipment free when using our special promo code Locked On. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Promo code locked on to try it for free today. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice. And we thank them for sponsoring the Locked On Dolphins podcast. the Dolphins improved to 3-9 on the season, dashing Philadelphia's hopes at narrowing the gap between they and the Dallas Cowboys in the NFC East. Miami will now go to the Jets next week to face Adam Gaze and the New York Jets, who lost on Sunday to the winless Cincinnati Bengals. Hilarious. And the Dolphins now pile up 409 yards on this Eagles defense. The Eagles get 386 of their own. Miami had 58 rushing yards in the game. The Eagles had 92 Miami 351 passing yards to 294, and they converted 8 out of 15 third and fourth down conversions, 3 of 3 on fourth down. That's good for 53%. The Eagles were 50-50, 7 of 14. Penalties, Miami had 7 for 59 yards. Philly had 10 for 91. The Dolphins allowed 3 sacks. The Eagles allowed 2, and the Dolphins outpossessed the Eagles 31 to 29 in the game. And to go back to the fifth and final takeaway from segment number one and the lead of the article, the postgame article up on LockedOnDolphins.com, the prelude to that article does talk about the diminishing nature of Miami's first overall draft pick, which now sits at number four, which guess what? That's where it was coming into the weekend as Washington and Cincinnati both win games. The Giants drop a game, but jump up over Washington into the second place in the NFL draft. So Miami picking fourth. But the point is this, in that Miami heading into the draft, every single selection you make comes with a certain level of uncertainty. And that's why you want the first overall pick in the draft, right? To minimize that uncertainty as best you can to get the safest prospect, whether it's Tua Tungavailoa, even with the hip injury, whether it's Joe Burrow, they want the safest option with the most upside at the quarterback position and that naturally comes through getting the first pick in the draft but what you don't get if you would have obtained that 
is the confidence in this Dolphins coaching staff under Brian Flores, Chad O'Shea, uh, Patrick Graham, on and on and on. And you look at the Bengals. Yeah, they might be able to get themselves Joe Burrow. But again, Zach Taylor, Lou Anarumu, the Dolphins have tangible evidence that this coaching staff can make it work regardless of what type of investment they put into a player. Because we talk about Nick Needham and Preston Williams and all these under the radar undrafted free agents or guys that were acquired off the scrap heap. They have made it work with several of those guys but they're also turning previous high investments, guys that were considered bust, guys that fell out of favor in other organizations, guys who were bottom tier free agent signings. They found these guys, they got them on bargain deals, and they're getting big time production from them. And that's the most encouraging spot heading into free agency and the draft when Miami has the biggest uh, offseason it's ever had, probably since 2013 and even beyond that. And we have to look at signings like Devontae Parker, whose two-year $10 million contract is the same as Corderell Patterson and he's got career highs across the board, probably an AFC fringe pro bowler at this stage. And he's the 36th highest paid receiver in the NFL. Eric Rowe was signed as a cornerback and it would have made him the 93rd highest paid cornerback at $3.5 million per year. Now he switched to safety and he allows less than 4.5 yards per target in coverage since that switch. Another bottom tier free agent signing that worked out well for Miami. Ryan Fitzpatrick makes less money than Brian Hoyer. His $11 million contract is bottom barrel for quarterbacks and yet here he is throwing for 365 yards despite the fact that that his best running back had 20 yards rushing in the game. It's the fourth time this year that Fitzpatrick has gone over 280 passing yards behind an offensive line that allows more pressures, more hits, and more sacks than any other offensive line in the National Football League. So bargain by free agents, undrafted free agents, a second round pick last year in Mike Gesicki, these guys are finding aces and they're doing it with the change they found in the couch cushion at the facility. It's so impressive. Let's go ahead now and jump into the individual performances. We don't have to go much further into Ryan Fitzpatrick other than stating the overall energy that he inflicts on this football team and the presence he brings to the locker room. We have to keep a big time eye on that going forward because that's what Miami's going to want. They've talked about it all off season into the season, how a guy commands the huddle, how his teammates respect him in the locker room. And that's what Brian Flores is. During the broadcast, the commentators mentioned that he brings an energy that even the defense absorbs every single day to work, and it's infectious throughout that Dolphins locker room. In the backfield, Kalen Balage, three carries, no yards, a long of one, and then Miles Gaskin and Patrick Laird come up and combine for 74 total yards. Nothing crazy, but remember, this is a seventh-round draft pick and an undrafted rookie doing a lot more than Miami's 2018 fourth-round rookie, and I think it's time to go ahead and move on from the Kalen Balage experience. If it wasn't already, I think Sunday made that quite clear. Patrick Laird has some gaps now and then. He dropped another pass, but the back-to-back plays, the second and 10 reception where he makes a guy miss, moves the chains, and then burrows in for a five-yard touchdown, and then catches a tough play for a two- two-point conversion, a great sequence for Patrick Laird and his buddy, Miles Gaskin, who worked out with him every single day after practice and training camp. He too gets his best NFL performance. Good to see those guys having a nice day. At receiver, what more can you say about Devontae Parker? I planned on going through each play, play play-by-play and breaking it down, but it's pretty much the same thing. He has a very dynamic release where he can keep himself clean with quickness and or power. He's good at at the hand fight off the line of scrimmage. And when he gets to the top of the route, there aren't many guys better in this league. I talked about an AJ Green comparison when he was at his best in 2016. 
That is what we've seen this season from Miami's best receiver, who now is over 635 yards since the bye week with six touchdowns on 43 catches. That is through eight games. The last three games, 20 catches, 335 yards, and two touchdowns. This dude is having a breakout season. Gasicki also up there mossing dudes left and right, taking the ball off Malcolm Jenkins' head or off Jalen Mills' head in coverage. Gasicki continues to play faster and stronger than he has that he did all of his rookie season, and we kind of saw this coming on here on the podcast. We talked about Gasicki getting better, and that's certainly showing through. Alan Hearns, another reliable day. Three catches, 33 yards. He just has an innate knack for finding the soft spots in the zone and making himself an immediately open target that Fitzpatrick can trust on third downs. Albert Wilson has a big day. I think he looked a little bit slower than we're used to on that long run that he had, but it was his best play of the season so far. He caught a great block downfield from Devontae Parker on that. Across the offensive line. There's really not much to say. Julian Davenport was a nightmare again. He gets injured for the third time in his four games this year. Comes out. Jamarcus Webb steps in. Left tackle is a glaring, glaring need. They have to get that fixed. I think Michael Dieter had some moments, including that punishing block on the Patrick Laird touchdown. He's getting better. He's coming along, but still not quite there yet where they need for this left guard to be. Jesse Davis is just always going to struggle with speed rushers. Happened again on Sunday, but he did settle down and played better in the second, third, and fourth quarter of the game. On the defensive line and at linebacker, I think Devon Godshaw and Christian Wilkins pretty much had a standard game for them the last several weeks. Devon Godshaw tweeted out after the game that he's always been a confident player, but he feels that right now he's been on another level, and I tend to agree with him. He is so strong at holding the point, getting off blocks, and Christian Wilkins isn't that far behind him in that regard, and Wilkins showed more of that versatility on Sunday, dropping into coverage into the hook zone, even got himself a pass breakup. I thought that Miles Sanders' big runs came from a combination of Taco Charlton, Charles Harris, John Jenkins, even Vince Beagle, and Andrew Van Ginkle having some issues off the edge, but Beagle was the most consistent of that group. The other four struggled at times. Jerome Baker, he left the game with an injury. We'll see where he's at tomorrow, but I think that some of his issues kind of showed up in this game as well. He gets caught in the wash a lot against the interior run of the Eagles. Pulling guards can wipe him out, and Sam Aguavin came into the game with the green dot on the back of his helmet, meaning he's the one that communicates the play calls to the defense with the headset in his ear, and he had his best day as a pro, like we talked about, a sack and a TFL. In the defensive backfield, Nick Needham has been trusted as the man-on-man, one-on-one cover guy when this team has third down and long and they drop seven or eight into coverage and bracket every single route. We've seen the Patriots do that to Miami so many times up in Foxborough with Ryan Tannehill in the past or Jay Cutler, Matt Moore, whoever it was in the past. They do so well to put you in a position where you have to attack a one-on-one matchup against Stephon Gilmore or another cornerback they have that can handle his own. And Nick Needham got that treatment on Sunday. And there's a great video clip in the article up on LOD.com where he handles that responsibility very well. I just really enjoy watching the secondary play together as a team, the way they funnel, the way they pass off, the way they drive on underneath routes and rally and tackle. I thought Ken Webster was good in that regard, and I think Eric Rowe continues to play really, really well in his new safety position. Zach Ertz had three catches on six targets for only 24 yards, less than four yards, or exactly four yards per target, and he was at 4.52 yards per target coming into the game. He made some more plays at the line of scrimmage. He's going to be up for a contract extension as we heard from Barry Jackson over the weekend. We'll talk more about that on tomorrow's podcast and in this podcast we'll come back and talk about some national praise for this team, where they sit in the draft rankings currently, college football from the weekend, tons more to get to here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. Before I do that though, 
I would be remiss if I didn't talk about the specialist and Matt Hawk and Jason Sanders, who scored the craziest touchdown I've ever seen on fourth and goal from the two-yard line. Matt Hawk takes the snap with only the center Tabor Pepper over the football and the field goal team. Jason Sanders flexed out wide along with four of his other teammates, all in plus splits along the left sideline and then four more teammates on the right sideline creating the craziest looking formation I'd ever seen. Matt Hawk catches the snap, flips it to Jason Sanders who was left uncovered in the end zone for a Dolphins touchdown. Go check out the video on LockedOnDolphins.com and stay with us on the other side of the podcast. Plenty more to come here. Locked On Dolphins podcast at Linkfield NFL at Locked On Fins. We start this segment of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, the recap Sunday slash Monday edition. Dolphins 37, Eagles 31, the Dolphins win, 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 win. And we start with some national praise from two very well-respected reporters and or analysts. The first one's Albert Breer, who was formerly of Monday Morning Quarterback and Sports Illustrated. He says this, I'm not saying Brian Flores is the coach of the year, but he's made me at least think about it, which is remarkable given all they've been through. Jim Nagy, the one that puts together the Senior Bowl, he is the director of the Senior Bowl. He says, what the Dolphins are doing under Brian Flores is not... Not a surprise to anyone that has played, scouted, or coached with him, with Brian Flores. True leader, while he realistically will not win coach of the year, getting this stripped down team to three wins should earn him votes. It sounds like most people are starting to agree with what we've said on this podcast, the national people. Now it's time for the local guys to catch up as this is the third time I'll say this on the season back in training camp after the Eagles win. And now after this one, fully believe that Brian Flores is going to last longer than five years here in Miami because I believe in the program he's built, in the vision they've had for establishing the culture and foundation of this team. And now with all these younger guys or guys that were unsung coming up to build the bottom half of your roster and all the premium assets and resources Miami has to fill out the top part of the roster, there is an uh, inherent trust that I have with this team and with this front office and the aligned vision they have between Chris Greer, Marvin Allen, Reggie McKenzie, and Brian Flores and Patrick Graham and Chad O'Shea all being on the same page to really form fit this team into the vision that Brian Flores sees because we know by now that he's adaptable week in and week out. And on tomorrow's podcast, we're going to talk about a piece from Barry Jackson again that plays some very interesting quotes from players on this team and previous coaching staffs as they can now use that money to wisely spend on players that fit the vision of Brian Flores and all those high draft picks to get rookies to come in here and to quickly abide by the mentality and the mindset put forth by this current iteration of this Miami Dolphins team. I think you have uncovered several guys who can be leaders of this team going forward and can really help translate next year's crop of free agents and rookies into this year's crop and make for one cohesive unit and a team that right now, based upon how I look at the way they play together, and if they get this offseason right, who's to say they can't make a playoff push as early as 2020, more realistically in 2021, but I think you have to look at this team near the bottom of the league as the team with the best shot to turn things around because they got the coaching staff hire correct and not many other teams can say that. And so while I think you can continue to try to build this team through the bottom tier free agents and undrafted free agents, you can now target specific guys that fit a job and a role that you have in mind for them. And I think about a report that came across RotoWire or Roto World, whatever the hell it's called on Sunday, that the Dallas Cowboys are unlikely to bring back Byron Jones. And so if Brian Flores looks at Byron Jones as the guy that can play that safety cornerback hybrid reel, 
role and really take this defense to the next level. They can just drop him into that system and make it work with a big contract. And you don't have to worry about doing that all over the roster and trying to meld together multiple different free agents from multiple different programs and get them all on the same page. You can drop in one or two and then use your system to develop and promote guys to fill out the rest of the group, to do the job, to play as a team and become one cohesive unit, something all these other teams at the bottom of the league just are not and the Dolphins are right now, and that's why I think they have the brightest future. But as far as the future goes and all the positives we talked about, there was a big negative. Miami's draft picks have just not fared well. They have been unlucky in that regard, especially the pick from Pittsburgh, which now sits at number 22, sitting in the playoffs after they defeat the Cleveland Browns with more luck, starting a quarterback named Duck Friggin' Hodges comes in and wins the game against a very underwhelming Browns team. They now are on the fast track for the playoffs. The pick from the Texans, it's about halftime right now in the Patriots-Texans game, but that pick looks to be number 23 overall if they lose to the Patriots. The Dolphins' own organic first pick is number four, just like it was coming into the weekend. Dolphins sit at three and nine with a couple other teams in that same range. Washington, Atlanta are both three and nine. Detroit and Arizona are three, eight, and one, so the Dolphins still have a half-game cushion on those teams. They sit behind Washington on tiebreaker right now by eight strength of schedule points. The Giants are two and ten, also have a worse strength of schedule, but of course Miami plays the Giants. They also play the Bengals, who are now 1-11, with a great strength of schedule at 576, 76 points higher than Miami. So, if the Dolphins go out and win a couple of these games, they probably fall down to 7th or 8th in the draft. If they don't win any more games, they'll stay at worst number 4 in next year's draft. And really, in that draft, I'm starting to think that the best way to go is to find an offensive line and a pass rush because that was one of the things we really took away from the game on Sunday is that right now, quarterback, yes, you do need your quarterback of the future here in Miami. He's not currently on the roster. But the quarterback position is not a problem right now. It's actually an asset the way Ryan Fitzpatrick is playing. And frankly, he's probably earned the right to come back and at least start next season and then be your backup and mentor once the rookie gets onto the field. If it is a rookie, we'll see what happens. But I do believe the two main areas of focus, aside from the quarterback, should be the offensive line and the pass rush. And we start along the offensive line. And there are some damn good ones out there available in this year's draft. Watch Jedrick Wills over the weekend, the Alabama right tackle. He plays with the exact temperament I think this team will want at that position. He'd be an immediate upgrade right now, an immediate plug-and-play starter, and I think probably either tackle one or two in this year's draft class, possibly behind Tristan Wirfs, the Iowa product, another option for Miami, probably in the top part of the draft. Both those guys will go high. You can go later on to find your guard. I think Trey Smith from Tennessee might be the best guard in the class, but he has a medical concern, so the Dolphins could probably get good value on him sometime in round two, maybe. We'll see how he shakes out at the end of the year. I think that's the same territory for Shane Lemieux from Oregon. You could go get both your guards in that round if you want to. There are three centers who I think are plug-and-play starters next year between Creed Humphrey, Tyler Bayadash, and Nick Martin from UW. You still have Andrew Thomas from Georgia, Alex Leatherwood, and Lucas Nyong from Alabama and TCU, respectively, at the tackle position. Just go out and draft a bunch of these guys. Maybe you sign Brandon Schur from Washington. Get the offensive line fixed. There's no shortage of resources to make it happen, and that's the biggest thing holding this team back right now on offense. On defense, we saw the secondary do well to plaster and cover, but Carson Wentz made so many plays off script and off schedule and extending the play outside the pocket, and that means the secondary is doing a good job, but the pass rush is just not getting home. And again, it's not going to be your normal pass rush the way you build it here in Miami. It's unique to Detroit. 
Miami and New England, you have to find linebackers who are big and strong and can rush both on the inside and the outside coming off the edge and flattening or going up the A gap and handling pressure or handling physicality from the back and the interior offensive line and running through that, staying true to your gap lanes. They have to remake the linebacker rush package. They have to remake the edge position here in Miami. Those are the biggest spots on defense, the offensive line on the offensive side. And then as well on the defensive backfield, you're going to want to put some more ball hawks and good players back there as well because you're going to have enough resources to do all these things so don't just leave the backfield as it is right now because as fun as it is to watch under unheralded guys make big time progressions the Dolphins could still use more talent back there and turn these guys that are decent players into depth and not make them start and play 50-60 snaps in a game on Sunday so everything's ahead of this team I think the offseason is going to be very exciting and frankly this coaching staff the way they've put guys in position to succeed have earned your trust with all the moves they make this offseason finding guys last offseason like Eric Rowe getting Devontae Parker back on a cheap contract getting more from Mike Gesicki finding Jamal Wiltz and Nick Needham and all these players that came up and contributed the future is bright for this Miami Dolphins team the future is bright for locked on Dolphins but as for today that's going to be our time You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your Victory Sunday slash Monday podcast. We'll be back tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Fins up.